I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of, of course, the 90-min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and on this edition of the podcast, we're going to be discussing the latest Arsenal news. We're going to bring be bringing you updates on the Urian Timber situation. Why on earth has that not been announced yet? Well, we've got some indication as to what has caused this delay. We're also going to talk Declan Rice, and we'll give you another update with regards to how close this is to being announced. We're also uh, going to talk about Arsenal's uh, interest in a young Brazilian player who uh, is um, said to be very, very high up on the want list and a player for whom Edu is personally negotiating. So we're going to get into all of that on this live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Do not go anywhere. Make sure you leave a like on the video because you know what you're going to get if you're a regular here. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. And if you're listening on audio, then please do leave us a review. It's another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. How are we doing, people? Hope you're all good. Hope you are all well. Lots and lots and lots of you in the live chat uh, this morning, which is obviously great to see. Uh, a big welcome to everybody who's taking time out of their day, either live or later on, uh, to either watch or listen to this show. It really, really does mean the world to me. Apologies uh, for the slight delay in our live stream today. I know I'm not normally very good at timekeeping anyway, and I know that we're normally a few minutes out because that's just the way us Cypriots do things. But um, I did have some connectivity issues this morning uh, that I just wanted to make sure were resolved before we go live. Because when you're doing a live podcast, the whole idea is, A, you get the live interaction, which is obviously great. But the the other reason that I do it this way is because in a crazy schedule, it's easier for me to just record the podcast in one hit without any edits, without any cuts, all of the rest of it. And then as soon as I'm done here, take the audio and upload it uh, onto the relevant platforms. It just makes life so much easier. So if you have problems with your connectivity during a live stream, that causes you problems that you then have to try and fix afterwards. And um, yeah, and I, I love the live element. I think it's great. Um, I think it's something that is a real sort of linchpin of what this podcast is. So I don't want to change that, but I just wanted to make sure that it was all good. Um, right. We're going to get into uh, all the latest Arsenal stories, of course. But before we do that, I do want to briefly discuss uh, the Delhi interview uh, that dropped earlier on today. I'm sure loads of you have, if not seen the full uh, interview just yet, because it is, I think, about 48 to 50 minutes long. If you haven't been able to see that yet because you're at work or whatever, um, I'm sure you'd have seen some clips and I'm sure you'd have seen the reaction to it on social media, which has been really, really positive. Now, I know Delhi is a player that was long associated with Tottenham Hotspur, a player that I have to say I didn't like when he played for Tottenham, a player that I found irritating. One of those players that probably if he plays for your team, you absolutely love him. But if he doesn't, he gets under your skin a little bit. But watching that interview today, I have to say, you know, he is incredibly brave um, and to to sit down and, and talk about things that have clearly caused you trauma and have clearly had a lasting negative impact as openly and as freely as he did, I thought was was magnificent and a testament to how strong he is. Um, I know there's been a lot of criticism of him as a footballer of late. 
And, and I'm putting my Arsenal Spurs thing to one side for now, because let's talk about Delhi the man and Delhi the, you know, the person who has taken, um, you know, this situation by the balls, essentially, and is now controlling the narrative himself, which is how it should be. I just thought it was an incredibly brave interview to give. I think it goes to show that we don't really know a lot of the time what's going on in people's lives. And so we shouldn't be so quick to judge. He spoke out about some really, really difficult issues. He talked about the sexual abuse that he faced at a really, really young age. He talked about addiction issues with regards to sleeping pills. He talked about drinking. He talked about, um, you know, his childhood and some really traumatic experiences that he went through, the things that he got involved in. And that takes a lot. Gary Neville, I think, deserves a lot of credit as well. I know we as Arsenal fans give him a lot of stick because, you know, of his obvious links to Man United. And I know we haven't always uh, liked the way he's spoken about our club. I remember sort of at the Premier League launch last summer, some of you might have seen the video on the Sky Sports Premier League channel. We were in a room with Gary Neville and we spoke about uh, the upcoming season and we were allowed to ask questions as, as sort of journalists and and people in the media that had been invited to this event. And I remember sort of saying to him, you know, well, Gary, you have said repeatedly that, you know, Arsenal don't have a plan. Arsenal don't have a strategy. Arsenal don't have a structure. Yet here they are moving in the right direction while Manchester United are moving in the wrong direction. So would you concede that actually you were wrong about Arsenal and actually the club that you should have been looking at with regards to a team having no plan, no idea, uh, no way forward, was actually Man United instead. And he didn't like that question. But I since bumped into him at Anfield um, when we went up there to play Liverpool. He was obviously there covering the game for Sky. He recognised me uh, off the back of um, of that chat that we'd had. And, and we had a little bit of a chat afterwards that day. Um, and, and he was really nice, to be fair. like He, he was really down to earth. And so while I disagree with a lot of his footballing ideas and and I know a lot of people disagree with his politics I'm not going to get into that now I I think he was a good person to handle this interview his relationship with Delhi I think as well helped here because obviously he's coached him uh, at international level he knows him knows the character um and he would have had an idea of of what Delhi Ali was going to talk about maybe not in terms of the specifics, but certainly in terms of the fact that Delhi was ready to tell his story and it was going to be a difficult story and one that was going to tug on a lot of heartstrings. But I thought Gary Neville, I don't often praise him, but I got to praise him here and today because I thought he handled that interview really, really well. Delhi said in the interview that if this helped one person, he would be really, really happy. I can tell you this for free. This will help a lot of people. Not just one, not just two, not just 10, not just 20. This will help so, so many people um, because he's shown that he's out the other side of what's been a really difficult period. You have to be out the other side to be able to talk about it in the way that he did. Um, he kept saying during the interview that he's strong enough now to do this. And I think that's great because it shows people that are maybe feeling really down and that they're going through a really difficult time that there is light at the end of the tunnel and there is a way out of it on the other side. And I think he's going to be an inspiration to so many. So credit to Deli Ali. Um, you know, for me, not my favorite player um over the last few years. You know, lots of crap has been said about him, lots of uh, rumors have been spread about him. And he's come out and addressed a lot of that and he's he's talked about it. He never blamed anyone. He never 
pointed fingers at anybody. He, he constantly made the point that he was battling with himself. Um, but I thought it was an incredibly brave interview to do and, and one that he should be very, very proud of. And I think it's one that's going to have a lasting impact. And although, you know, generally this is a good thing, not what happened to him, but the fact that he's now out the other side and can speak about it. And hopefully this will be the beginning of him sort of getting his career back on track and getting his life back on track. I think the most alarming thing for me that I took away from this interview was not necessarily the story. Obviously, that's horrendous. And it goes without saying that sexual abuse is awful. And it goes without saying that addiction is something that's really, really difficult um, to sort of get past if you've got problems with it. I I'm not for a second downplaying the significance of those things. But I think what really annoyed me about this was that Deli Ali clearly felt the need to give this interview because he was being pressured by the tabloids who had got wind of where he was, who had got wind of the fact that he was in rehab and were, we can assume, threatening to expose that. And he wanted to get ahead of it. And he wanted to get ahead of the story. And he wanted to tell the story in his words and far more accurately than any tabloid could. The fact that the tabloids in this country still have the power to do things like that, to me, is is crazy. Um, it's a, a whole nother debate for another day, but it just goes to show that, you know, there are some really brilliant people out there in the media, but there are also some absolute scumbags. Like, that. that's the only way I could put it. I was trying to think of a maybe more diplomatic word, but they're scum. You know, they look to capitalize on people's vulnerabilities and weaknesses, and all they have in mind is sell papers generate clicks. They don't think for a second about the person that they're impacting, that they're affecting, and what the lasting effects of that story are going to be. And, you know, it, I, I'm not saying it's perfect in other parts of the world, but I, I maybe it's because I don't know, but I can't think of another country where the tabloids have this much power and have the ability to ruin people's lives as easily as our tabloids here in the UK do. So correct me if I'm wrong, but that is um, that is one of the big things I took away from this. The fact that, you know, maybe he would have liked to have done this interview in a month's time, two months time, three months time, maybe at the end of the season after he'd kind of got back on track and, and started to show an upturn in his form. I don't know. But the fact that he felt that he had to do this now, just weeks after coming out of rehab and that it was because of them, I, I think is is worrying. You know, I, I really, really do. Anyway, um that's uh, that's the Delhi Alley bit. Um, really great interview. Really, really brave. Again, credit to Gary Neville for uh, the way he handled it. I thought he was fantastic in it. And um, and I hope that interview will help people. And this is exactly the type of thing where you're allowed to put your allegiances uh, to your club to one side and focus on the man, focus on the human element here. And um, and a big credit to Delhi uh, for what was a sad but really powerful interview, I think. Anyway, um, but let's move on. We're going to talk Arsenal. We're going to talk Urian Timber in a minute. We're going to talk Declan Rice. We're going to talk Bitello as well, uh, the young Brazilian being linked with a move to Arsenal in just a moment or so. Don't go anywhere. Hello. How's it going? Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Let's talk then Urian Timber. Um, why has it not been announced yet? 
this one was supposed to be straightforward. This one was supposed to be uh, really, really easy. This one was supposed to be in the bag. This one was supposed to be done. So according to Kaya Kainak, who's put out a report earlier today, Kaya, of course, uh, has been on this podcast before. He is uh, of football.london, brilliant journalist. He says that the Urian Timber delay has been caused by a small contract issue. Now, he doesn't go on to specify exactly what that contract issue is. And if I come up with something, I'd be making it up because I really don't know either. Um, But it seems that this minor contract issue has caused a delay, a delay that has um, meant that Arsenal have been unable so far to get Urian Timber out to Germany and include him in the squad for tonight's match against Nuremberg, which we're going to talk a little bit uh, about later on. Arsenal's plan was to do that. Arsenal's plan was to get Urian Timber in. We understand that his club media duties have already been done, that it was all ready to go, and that this was going to be a deal done in time, as I say, for him to partake in the game tonight. But that is not the case as far as we know it. Uh, it is going to roll over to tomorrow, we understand. Uh, that's what Kaya Kainak's report says, that he expects that announcement to come tomorrow. Now, that doesn't mean that it can't come later on today. But what I think we can safely say is that he's not going to take any part in the game against Nuremberg tonight, which is a little bit disappointing because when you think about where we were with this deal a week ago, you'd have thought that it would have been easy to make this happen. You'd have thought that the Declan Rice one uh, had a chance of being done in time for the Nuremberg game as well. But I do think it is more important that Arsenal get those players out on the US tour rather than this one-off standalone fixture with Nuremberg. Yes, you get to mingle with the squad, you get to mix with your teammates and all the rest of it. And obviously that is powerful. And the more opportunities you get to do that going into a new season as a new player at a new club, the better. But um, I think as long as they go on the preseason tour, we'll be okay and they'll be okay. I mentioned it yesterday. I feel like the preseason tour is a great opportunity for the club as well to showcase how big they are to whoever it is that they've just brought in the door because they'll go over to the States and they'll see tons and tons and tons and thousands actually of Arsenal fans um, sort of filling the stadiums, wearing the red and white jerseys, all the rest of it. And um, and obviously that is a, a real sort of indicator of how big this football club is globally. So I think it's important that he goes on the US tour. We think he will. We think it's going to be announced on Friday. Uh, that's what we're being led to believe by Football.London's um, Kaya Kainak. So we think that we're going to hear something on that one tomorrow. But it's funny because I thought we were going to hear about this last Friday. And I remember sort of not having a great deal of work on on Friday afternoon. And I remember my wife saying to me, why don't we get the kids and, and go somewhere? Why don't we um, take the kids out for the afternoon or or why don't you get off a little bit early and, and we can maybe go out for a meal at a little slightly earlier time so that the kids can enjoy it before going to bed and all the rest of it. And I remember specifically saying to her, look, I don't want to go too far away because I've got a feeling I'm going to be called into action. I've got a feeling I'm going to be called into work, whether that be here, radio, whatever. I just had a feeling that something was going to be done and I wasn't going to be on hand to cover it, which obviously isn't a good look for me. So uh, I I rejected, you know, the offer of going out for a meal or whatever, only for Arsenal not to do anything and for me to end up sitting there basically wasting my Friday afternoon. But anyway, that's another story for another day. But yeah, the Urian Timber thing, a small contract issue has caused the delay. Kaya Kainak does make it clear, though, in this piece 
that that contract issue, whatever it was, has been resolved. And so there is nothing to be concerned about, just a little bit of frustration around the delay. So that's the latest on Urian Timber and uh, and his move to Arsenal Football Club. Going to happen, probably going to be announced tomorrow, and that will mean that he's in the door in time uh, for that trip to the US. As already said, the club media duties uh, involving Urian Timber have already been done. Uh, let's see what you guys are saying in the live chat. We'll take a few of your comments. Some of the comments are around the Delhi interview, which we discussed at the beginning, some of them around Arsenal's, uh, you know, delay in getting um, some of these things out uh, and all the rest of it, or getting these things over the line, I should say. Um, we've got some inappropriate comments in the chat, which are blocked and I'll kick them out as soon as I see them. If any of the mods see them as well, feel free to just block them. We're not going to block people for having different opinions. Um but if you're going to be homophobic or, uh, you know, racist or, or anything like that, then you will be kicked out of the chat. It's literally as simple as that. Um, no debate to be had. Uh, just going back to the tabloids thing, uh, Matt says it's the same in the USA. Harry MM says the same thing as well. Um, Matt does say, though, I've heard that English media is particularly notorious for this. So maybe it's worse over there. I mean, I just going back to that point briefly, I, I don't follow the media in other countries closely enough to know, to be able to make that comparison and, and measure one against the other. Um, but the English media certainly um, are renowned for this. And I find it amazing that in 2023, they've still got the power to do what they do. And um, and they've still got the clout that they do. And, and actually, one of the things that I'm not going to get involved in the whole Prince Harry versus the royal family thing uh, and the Meghan Markle influence on that and all the rest of it i'm i'm not getting into that because to be honest with you i don't know enough about it to have an opinion but when prince harry talks about making some of these tabloids accountable making sure they're held accountable for the shit they do i actually agree with that and um and you know it's sport is different but you know the way they go after people personally i think is horrendous and um and yeah it's not reporting at that point, is it? It's literally like blackmail to to get people to do what you want and and to kind of gain things from having stories that you probably got in an immoral way. Uh, what else we got? Um, Seb Gold says, uh, I agree, Harry. I'm watching from New York. And while we do have tabloids here, they don't appear to have the same power. So it is a thing that... Um, even is recognised uh, all over the world, actually, that the British tabloids are a force to be reckoned with and in a bad way. Dave Smith says, blame the people who buy the tabloids. It's true. You know, if you read that shit, if you buy that shit, then, um, you know, you kind of, um, <laughs> you kind of are fueling it and you are supporting it, even if you don't think you are, you are in some way. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Dennis says, I've always wanted to ask, is there a code of conduct in the British media industry? The way these outlets and individual journalists get personal towards personalities is not normal. There are laws in place, like there are libelous laws. So, for example, like you can't, like, you know, we've all heard about this scandal over the last, I say scandal because the guy's been found to have done nothing illegal. Like, uh, again, I don't know the ins and outs of this story, but, um, you know, we, we, Nobody could name who it was involved in this latest British scandal because 
whoever it was, if the wrong person was accused and their name was slandered and all the rest of it, they'd have had the power to counter sue and, and to go after the people that had been naming them and stuff. So there is some forms of protection, but it always feels like these people find a way around it. And, um, and that's the real concern here. Um, what else have we got? Alejandro says it's violence on another level. It's terrorizing more like, I guess, uh, city FM says, um, there's only one Prince Harry and we're watching him live. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, right. Anyway, let's um, let's get back to the football chat. We we talked to Yuri and Timber. We've brought you up to speed with exactly what's going on there. Um, yeah, should be announced tomorrow. Fingers crossed. We're going to take another very, very short pause. Don't worry. Won't be more than two seconds. And we'll be back. We're going to talk Declan Rice. What is the latest on our 100 plus five million pound man? <laughs> Hey, everybody, welcome back. So, um, Declan Rice, what's going on there? Well, yesterday we spoke about the reports doing the rounds, claiming that Arsenal's lawyers were holding up the paperwork. And whilst I was really defensive of Arsenal as a football club yesterday, because I thought that I thought that what we were doing as fans, or, or what a lot of people were doing as fans, was jumping on the club's back, being hypercritical, towards our own club without actually knowing what the deal was and what the situation was. Now, I'm not saying that there's no chance that the lawyers have not been great in dealing with this stuff. Maybe Arsenal are going to look for a new law firm uh, to, bring, to to sort of work in, in conjunction with because hearing today that there was a slight issue with the timber contract, I mean, it doesn't mean that it was on our side or or anything like that, but you hear that and then you hear West Ham saying that it's all taking too long. You can forgive one for thinking that maybe, um, you know, we're not working as efficiently as we can on that side of things. But again, we don't know that. That is literally speculation. And so I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole. But as I say, we heard yesterday that West Ham were growing increasingly frustrated with how long this deal was taking, that there was paperwork still outstanding. West Ham had said um, in leaking this information to Sky Sports. And, you know, they'll say that they didn't, but obviously they did. Where else did it come from? Um, Arsenal certainly don't want that kind of publicity. It's not the kind of publicity that they're going to create uh, or manufacture themselves. But there was talk that Declan Rice's medical had already taken place. And whilst nobody in the Arsenal world has been able to uh, verify that, you'd imagine that for the deal to be finally signed, which we think is very close to happening, that that would have had to have taken place. So the medical would have had to have been completed. Now, according to Kaya Kainak today, Arsenal have not yet brought Declan Rice in to do his in-house media. So that is something that still needs to be done. But despite that not having been completed just yet at the time of recording, it is believed that Arsenal remain confident that they will announce the Declan Rice deal ahead of the preseason trip to the US. Now, they leave on Sunday. So that gives us tomorrow. That gives us Saturday. Maybe they'll announce it on Sunday, but he'll be on the plane and we just find out about it a little bit later on. I don't know. But it does feel like this is nothing to worry about. It's taken a bit longer than we'd have liked. We, we've said that repeatedly. I don't know how many more times we can say that and how many more times I can acknowledge or, or understand why people are feeling the frustration that they're feeling. But again, I'll say it to you one more time. There is nothing to worry about. David Ornstein, who is 
the best in the business. You you, you have to say that. Um, literally, on Sky Sports News last night said, guys, there is nothing to worry about. It's pretty much done. Dotting of the I's, crossing and the T's remain. And I feel, again, I feel like I said that, I, I say that all the time, uh, all the rest of it. This is something that is moving in the right direction, albeit a lot slower than we'd have liked. So don't stress about this. Hopefully we get that announcement ahead of the US tour, which is on Sunday, which means that we should get, or they're leaving on Sunday, which means we should get this in the next couple of days. So chill. Anyway, that's uh, that's the Declan uh, Rice part. Uh, we're going to talk about another player uh, in just a minute, a uh, young Brazilian that is uh, attracting the attention of Arsenal at the moment. I say young, 23. Is that young nowadays in football in terms? It's not that young, is it? Uh, but he's certainly someone who's got room to grow and who still has plenty of years ahead of him to improve and take his game up to the next level. We'll be talking about that in just a second. We'll be also uh, bringing you details on the Nuremberg game this evening, uh, how you can watch it, all the rest of it, what we know about who's due to take part, etc., etc. And then we'll be taking questions, as always, from the live chat. Don't go anywhere. Okay, let's talk Bitello, the young Brazilian. I keep saying young. 23 is young to me because I'm nearly, what am I going to be? I'm going to be 33 um, in just over a month's time. I'll be 33. I'm not 33 now, am I? No, I'm (laughs) 32. I'm going to be 33. So 23 for me feels young. It might not be young in football in terms anymore, but it certainly feels uh, young enough for me. Anyway, Gremio midfielder Bitello, um, born in 2000. God, that makes me feel old. Central midfield player, uh, valued uh, according to transfer marked at around about three and a half million euros. Uh, although we always say that those valuations are not, you know, they're not, they're not gospel. You shouldn't, sort of latch on to those uh, too much but obviously um they are some kind of benchmark for us to go by uh, he's played 84 times for gremio at one of the big clubs in brazil of course he scored 16 goals seven assists so that is what 23 direct goal contributions in 84 games from midfield uh from uh for the gremio man now he is a central midfield player he has played on the right wing from time to time, he has played in midfield roles, which can be sort of as a central midfielder, as an eight, you'd assume. He's also played a little bit further forward in a kind of attacking midfield role at points. His contract at Gremio expires in December 2025. Now, we first heard of the interest um, in in uh, uh, the Gremio man, Bitello, yesterday. A report came out from a Brazilian journalist who said that Arsenal had sent a representative over to Brazil to meet uh, with the club in an attempt to put forward a proposal to sign uh, Pitello. Now, let me give you the information that I have. And this is not my information. This is information that's come from my colleague over at uh, 90 Min, uh, Graham Bailey, who's across all the transfer stuff. He says, Arsenal love this player. Uh, Edu is working on this deal himself. and I quote, it's close. So it does feel that Arsenal are moving forward uh, on this. And it does feel like Arsenal are making good progress in their attempts to bring this man in. Now, I know what the first question I'm going to get is, right? And and, and I know that I'm going to get this question because it was the first question that popped into my mind 
when I heard the name Bitello and then I went onto the internet to look him up. Why is he at 23 years old, if he's that good, not involved in the Brazil setup? That's the first question that I think a lot of people are going to ask. And it's a fair question to have. And I don't really have an answer. Um, what I would say is that at 23, the club will probably feel more confident that he can come in and do a job straight away. I think I've said this before during this window, we've got to a point with Arsenal where we kind of need to accept that the talent identification generally is much, much better. And so not, you know, cast doubt on every deal that we do. Yeah, you can question it and you can question, um, you know, you can question lots of elements of it. But I think, yeah, with um, with rumours sort of gathering pace again that Thomas Partey could be leaving, Arsenal needs someone that can come in and impact the team straight away. And at 23 years old, Bitello could be that. Is he a bit of a late bloomer? Possibly. Um, is he just not in the Brazilian national team because they have lots and lots of talent in that particular area of the park? Does that, by default, make him not good enough for Arsenal? I don't think so. Um, lots of people saying uh, that he is you know, on an upward trajectory in terms of his career. Arsenal content in the chat says last season was his best season. He made a huge uh, development stride last season. Um, so, yeah, th th there's, a, there's a feeling that this guy is getting better and better and that Arsenal are looking to do this deal. When you look at the fact that he's worth, according to Transfermark, three and a half million euros, his contract hasn't got more than a couple of years on it, You'd imagine that Arsenal could probably do this deal at a cut price as well. The likes of Gremio, with all due respect, are not very wealthy football clubs. And Arsenal are a wealthy football club. And Arsenal will feel that they can, you know, they can get their way here. That they can table an offer that represents good value on their part, but also on Gremio's side. And they could probably get this deal done if indeed it is true that they want to do it. Uh, Clock Orange in the chat says, big, when I was referring to Gremio, mate. Whatever level they're playing in, it doesn't change the size of the football club. Gremio are a massive, massive football club and they're playing in the Serie A anyway. Um, so I, I don't really get what the point is there. But anyway, um, what else have we got in the chat? Let's see what you guys are saying on this as well. Uh, Damien Kelly says he could be a late bloomer like Ian Wright. Ian Wright was a late bloomer. People forget that. He was a really, uh, really late bloomer. Um Alejandro says he'll be a good transfer in uh, because he will be a backup. I mean, I briefly mentioned in passing there the idea of, of Thomas Partey moving on, which we heard loads about a few weeks ago. All of a sudden, things have, have started to quieten down. But then this afternoon, uh, this is a story that's gathered a bit of pace again. And um, I, I'm just trying to see if I can find uh, one of the tweets that I read just before we went on air. But it was something to do with... It was something along the lines of, and I'm, I'm slightly paraphrasing here, but basically there has um, there has been some contact between uh, one of the Saudi clubs and Thomas Partey. Personal terms aren't going to be a problem. The issue will be now striking a deal with Arsenal. Now, if you're looking at Fabinho, for example, as an example of what Arsenal should be demanding, you know, equally important to Liverpool over the years. You know, dropped off a bit last season, but has been generally equally as important. 
in that holding midfield role for Jurgen Klopp's side. If you're talking about 40-odd million for him, which is what the Saudi clubs are said to be willing to pay, then there is no way Arsenal should accept or entertain a conversation at anything less than that. If you can get 40 million in for Thomas Partey, then all of a sudden it might be worthwhile selling him. And, you know, I tweeted this earlier on and this was not a dig at any other club or, or anything like that. And it genuinely wasn't. It was literally just me sort of thinking with my fingers. The emergence of the Saudi Pro League this summer has become a get out of jail free card for so many clubs with pay players past their best on crazy salaries but for whom they'd never have got a significant fee from anywhere else. I don't blame clubs for wanting to sell for that money, but the football ecosystem is broken. It really, really is. And that's not me throwing shade at the Saudi league. I'd say the same thing if it was the Greek league doing this. It's literally nothing to do with where these clubs are based. It's just a sign that the ecosystem is wrong. Um, it needs fixing. I always talk about the the disparity between the Premier League clubs and everybody else as well. And that is another big crack in the football ecosystem. So this is not me going at them because it's Saudi Arabia. This is a general comment based on the state of football. And if Arsenal can offload Thomas Partey now for two thirds, maybe more of what they paid for him, then, you know, it goes to show you that the inflation in football is getting bigger and bigger and it's all getting worse and worse. And, and in the end, we're going to get to a point where we have to crash. And, and they're not going to be a lot of clubs that are able to survive that kind of financial disaster. So, yeah, we've got to be really, really careful with all of this. There needs to be something put in place, I think, to to try and keep this um, this thing under control. Um, not only is Fabinho rumoured to be wanting to go out to Saudi Arabia, as well as Thomas Partey, who could well be on the move as well, but Jordan Henderson uh, has been. Um, heavily linked with a move away. Apparently, he's been offered a, a wage that would quadruple his wages that he's currently on at Liverpool. And so he's going to consider it. Uh, Liverpool's LGBT plus fans group has come out today, uh, just a little while ago, actually, and said that it's appalled and concerned that club captain Jordan Henderson is considering a transfer offer from Saudi Arabia. The problem is that money talks and... Um, and Jordan Henderson has been a great advocate of those of those groups uh, of the LGBT uh, plus group, and you know he's always been lauded for that. And now he's in a position where he either undoes his reputation on that in that sense, or he takes the best deal for his family. And and this is the problem that this issue or this situation is causing right now. Um, and, and it's why it's having such a big impact on the football ecosystem, as I say, because players are tempted because you're talking about ridiculous amounts of money that wouldn't be available to any footballer in the, shall we say, twilight of his career anywhere else. This is shaking up football big time. For good or for bad, I'll let you decide. But this is shaking up football big time. No question about that in my mind. Right. That's the latest. Arsenal said to be very, very interested in bringing Bitello in from Gremio, midfielder, 23 years old. Um, Arsenal take on Nuremberg tonight in their first official preseason friendly, if you want to call it that. The game kicks off at 6pm UK time. The only way to watch this in the UK and in the United States, I believe, is 
via arsenal.com, but you'll need to buy a pass. Now, you've got a couple of options. You can either buy a pass specifically for this game, or you can buy a bundle, which will work out cheaper, but allow you to watch all of the preseason games, uh, which are going to be aired on arsenal.com. So the choice is yours. Um, we're not going to be doing a watch along of this game tonight, as I mentioned to you guys yesterday. Unfortunately, I'd have loved to have done it if if it just worked with the schedule, but it doesn't, unfortunately. Um, I will be watching the game tonight uh, and I will be bringing you a reaction podcast to the game tomorrow morning. Uh, but for now, uh, you're out there on your own uh, to enjoy this one. But look, it's a great opportunity to have a look at some of the players that are back uh, and training. It's a great opportunity to have a look at Kai Havertz uh, in training, uh, sorry, in a match environment for Arsenal after it's been said that he's really, really impressed people on the training ground. So there'll be lots of interest on the match um, and uh, it's definitely uh, worth uh, tuning in if you can and if you um, if you want to. Um, also, before we move on to your questions, it's a great time to sort of buy some time to give you the opportunity to fill up the chat box with your questions. Start doing that now, please. Uh, fill them up, fill them up, fill them up. Let's see what you got. Uh, we'll work our way through as many of them as we possibly can in the next sort of 10 minutes or so. But I just did want to say a, a massive well done and give a big shout out to my good friend, uh, Tom Canton over at the Guna Talk TV because he hit 50,000 subscribers. Um, I think it was overnight, which is an amazing achievement. Like I know how much graft goes into these YouTube channels. I know how much dedication you have to put into it to build a community like that. And I know that your content has to be good as well. It's not just about sort of producing as many videos as possible and not caring for the content. The quality of content that Tom produces on a daily basis is unbelievable and it's well, well deserved. Um, yeah, so congratulations uh, to Tom Canton, the Guna Talk TV. I'm sure you're all subscribed already, but if you're not, get over there, give him a subscribe as well. Um, and help him towards the next milestone. Won't be long until he's at 100K, I'll tell you that. Anyway, um, let's uh, take another very, very short pause, and then we're going to do questions for the remainder of the show. So start throwing them in the chat box. Right, let's take some of your questions. What are those questions? Burning a hole um, in the chat box at the moment. Uh, Arsenal content, which Saudi team are you going to support? Um, I'm not going to support any of them. <laughs> um, I, I am interested to see how the league goes, um, but I support Arsenal and only the Arsenal and I will not be supporting anyone else. But it's going to be um, interesting to see how that league develops from a purely footballing perspective. I know there are other issues that people want to talk about and I know that there are other reasons why people are not so keen on the emergence of the Saudi Pro League. And I understand. And I'm interested to see where this project goes because I always think when I think of stuff like this crashed and burned really really quickly I don't think that's going to be or I don't expect that to be the case with the Saudi Pro League because I think they've got the money plus the football culture and the love for the game to sustain that rather than the Chinese who I think grew concerned quite quickly about the impact it was having on homegrown players and local football and all the rest of it. And, and maybe just didn't have the same audience or, or there wasn't the same. No, I'm not saying that they don't love the game, but 
in the Arab world, there is a real love for football that I think often gets overlooked because of other elements of their culture sort of superseding football in terms of the way they're viewed by the wider world. But I do think that there is a, a real love for football in the Arab world. Um, I'll tell you what really kind of opened my eyes to that. Earlier on in the year, I went out to Paris to work on the uh, the CAF, the, the Confederation of African Football's Champions League. And I did some TV commentaries. I did four games the first time I went there, out there and I did four games a second. So I basically did eight games uh, in the Champions League group stage. And a lot of the North African countries, Morocco, Tunisia, um, Algeria, there is obviously the Arab link. And um, and I uh, I sort of got to commentate on some of those games and they were the only games literally in that competition where the stadiums were packed to the rafters, where the crowds were huge, where there were raucous atmospheres all the time. Yeah, you got good atmospheres in other parts of Africa as well, but it was a little bit hit and miss. Like you didn't know if you were going to commentate on a game in a stadium that was empty or if it was going to be half full or whatever. But you knew when you were talking about the Algerian clubs, the Egyptian clubs, that there were going to be big crowds and there was going to be that real... Um, you know, that real raucous atmosphere, which highlights their love for the game. So I've kind of had my eyes open to how much football is loved in the Arab world. And so that gives me more reason to believe that the Saudis are going to be able to sustain this project a little bit longer, certainly than the Chinese did. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Mike in Perth says uh, Torres as an option. You're talking about Ferran Torres uh, thoughts. And he says, yes, congratulations to TC. Um, in terms of Ferran Torres, my understanding of the situation at the moment is that Ferran Torres just doesn't want to leave. Barcelona are keen to move him on because they see him as a sellable asset and obviously they need money and we all know what they've had to do over the last few years to keep themselves above water in terms of their economic situation. But Ferran Torres doesn't want to leave Barcelona at this moment in time, which is making it really, really difficult um, for... Uh, you know, it's making it really, really difficult for Barcelona to know how to deal with this situation. He's not part of their plans for the first team, but well, he's a part of their plans in terms of the squad, but he's not a part of the first 11, for example. Yet there's no option to use him as someone to generate revenue from because he's contracted. Well, this is what happens when you hastily go out and buy players and sign players and then change your manager and then change your whole direction and structure and strategy and all this. You get left with players like that, as we know, all too well. But I don't think it's a viable option because I don't think he wants to come back to the Premier League. Tom says, given the red memberships uh, are close to useless at Arsenal to actually score tickets these days, isn't it shocking that members would be asked to fork out extra to watch pre-season games? It should be free. Look, in an ideal world, I think it would be free. And if it were my decision, it would be free. I think you're right. I think that if you pay a membership every year, you should get more than just the ability to sometimes buy tickets depending on the availability. I agree with you um, that in an ideal world, that's how it should be. What I will say, and listen, I did a couple of games for Arsenal on the on the website last season. I worked as a commentator on a couple of the under-21 games. Um, and I went into the studio 
and we did them off tube, which was obviously we weren't at the ground. We were doing them from in a studio, basically. And you get the pictures fed through and you need to commentate on the pictures. And that then, of course, gets beamed out across the Arsenal website and all the rest of it. What I will say is that there's a lot of production work that goes into bringing those games to you guys uh, via the website. There's a lot of people involved, a lot of really great, hardworking people. And so although I agree with you that the club, if if I were in charge of the club, I would give it to you for free. I do think that it's important not to overlook the work that those people do, though, in providing a production like that, because I know it's not the biggest in terms of production value. Like there isn't punditry and, you know, all this stuff in the build up, but it is quite difficult to do. Um, and, and the people that work on it are, are great people. So I, I don't want this to come across as if I'm slagging them off because I'm not. Um, but I do think that, yeah, you've got a point in that the club probably should be giving this uh, this out to people for free. I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, what else have we got? Let's take a couple more. Uh, Delisu says, uh, hi, Harry, where do you think Balogun will end up? I think he'll end up at Arsenal. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm starting to think that he's a bigger part of the plans than maybe I initially sort of thought when I tried to read the situation earlier on in the summer. I think the tour is going to be big. I think it gives him a great opportunity to show what he can do in training, but also on the pitch. And I'm, I'm really interested to see how this ends up. We know that Milan are interested. We know that a number of other clubs are interested. I'm just wondering whether any of those clubs would actually go as far as following up that interest with a concrete, and I know that's the buzzword of the window, bid or offer that is anywhere close to what Arsenal's valuation of these players uh, is said to be. Um, let's take a couple more. Uh, Lucas Chambers TV. Uh, thanks for tuning in, mate. I have seen your message, by the way. I will get back to you uh, as soon as I get a chance today. He says, what's your thought? Basically, the answer is yes. We just need to find a time to do it. There you go. Um, telling you live on air. Uh, what's your thoughts on the time taken for Arsenal to officially complete these deals? I would like to see them done earlier, see them in action. But I think people need to relax and trust the club. Yeah, you basically summed up my uh, thoughts. Um on that perfectly. Granddaddy Guna says, these players are very rich, so I don't get the securing their families further. It's already secure. All right, let me put it this way. How many of us, like, genuinely would, would be able to turn down £700,000 a week, no matter what our circumstances were? Because I think whatever your circumstances are, that is a lot of money to just turn your nose up at. I think that, you know, it's it's not the best footballing move, obviously, because it's a, a step down in terms of the level of the league and all the rest of it. But I think financially, it's. I think basically what I'm trying to say, and I'm not saying that you're specifically guilty of this, mate, but I just think generally speaking, it's really, really easy to pretend that the money bit doesn't matter when you're not the one who would be saying no to an astronomical amount of money. And not only do you then secure the future of your kids, you secure the future of their kids and their kids. And you build almost a dynasty with that kind of money, you know, to the point where your family is going to be well off for generations. I think, yeah, OK, they're already well off. But are you saying that if you earn a bit of money that you would then all of a sudden stop being attracted by money because 
it's not the most important thing in the world. I think we can all agree on that, but it does make your life easier. And yeah, I, I, I just don't want to be too judgy on this. Like, I don't want to be saying like, well, you're just a money grabber or, or all the rest of it, because that feels like a lazy narrative to me. When we're talking about these sums of money, there is always going to be that temptation. And I think we have to accept that. Uh, what else have we got here? Um, going to take um, one or two more. Uh, the Italian Stallion says thoughts on links with Cancelo for 35 million. I've said throughout the window, Cancelo would be a great addition. I'd love to have him. And if we could do it at 35 million, I'd be doing that straight away. Um, I really, really would. Uh, Christoph, just back on the payments point, says their careers are short. Not all go uh, on to permanent jobs in punditry. They may have many mouths to feed. It's a short career arc. They live in a different world. It's a good point as well. Um, Cass says, uh, if I was a footballer in the twilight of my years and was offered that sort of dough, I would take it as well. So yeah, we'll have to, um, we'll have to see how this develops, but it is just, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's just the way of the world now, uh, big hello to, uh, Ksushna who says, hello, I'm Uzbek in the chat. I hope you're good. Oh no. Is that, hold on. Anyway, shout out to everyone. Uh, in Uzbekistan, who's joining us. Um, I don't know if that's a real account, <laughs> which is why I paused. But anyway, um, yeah, big shout out to everybody watching us, listening to us from wherever you are in the world. Look, we're going to wrap it up there. Um, we've got a hell of a lot of you in the live chat at the moment, but only 154 likes on the board. Guys, come on. Um, what are we doing here? Let's get this up to 250 ASAP. Uh, hopefully we'll be back tomorrow, uh, not just reviewing the game against Nuremberg, but reacting to the announcements of at least Urian Timber anyway. Uh, fingers crossed that's the next port of call here and the next stage. Uh, but I'm going to leave you guys to it uh, for the rest of the afternoon. Um, I'm heading out uh, to uh, work in a little bit. So if I don't catch you again tonight, then I will catch you guys um, very, very soon. Tomorrow, in fact on the next edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Thank you, as always, for tuning into our live show. Like, subscribe. If you're listening on audio, leave us a review. Audio, I said there, audio, and leave us a review. Thank you all so much, and goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.